I have seen this parable coming on my sermon schedule for many weeks now. Uh, it's a tough one. I've seen it coming, and I knew it was going to get here today. Uh, while it's a challenge, there's also much, much good news in it. So I want to draw your attention to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'll read the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of this morning's sermon is Forgiven to Forgive. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word, help them to hear your word, and Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Some years ago, a man told me about a struggle he was having in his life. He spoke with composure, but anguish was written all over his face. He formerly had been involved in an organization where a disagreement arose that led to friction and division. Amid the conflict, a few people there mischaracterized his actions and said false things about him. They basically villainized him, scapegoated him, and ostracized him. He had since moved on from there, but the pain of this experience clung to his soul like a straitjacket to an innocent 
criminal. Although he had removed himself from the situation, it was difficult for him to shake loose psychologically and spiritually. As a Christian, he had long considered the possibility of forgiving the people who had mistreated him, but they had never expressed any remorse or admitted to any wrongdoing. He asked me, his pastor, if he should forgive them. The scriptures clearly advocate forgiveness. Forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive and you will be forgiven. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. These verses sound lovely in theory, like birds singing in a tree. But when somebody actually sins against us in a specific and hurtful way, then all the talk of forgiveness sounds less like birdsong and more like nails on a chalkboard. We might even cover our ears because we don't want to hear it. People get slandered. And somebody says, forgive? People get fired because a co-worker messed up. And somebody says, forgive? People get emotionally abused or physically harmed. And somebody says, forgive? People get wounded by fraud, theft, malice, deceit, division, or strife. And somebody says, forgive? Real forgiveness in real life can be really hard. Even relatively mild offenses can be difficult to forgive sometimes. I was once at a dinner gathering when one of the guests out of nowhere abruptly criticized the way I was interacting with my young daughter. Her remark was off base and loud as a foghorn. The whole room grew quiet. I was deeply offended and I immediately began to seethe. I huffed and puffed throughout the meal, trying not to say the things I was thinking about saying because if I'd said the things that I was thinking about saying, it would not have been the most righteous response. To forgive is not natural or instinctive. To forgive is a challenge. Our natural inclination is to hold people's sins against them. We assume we'll be better off and things will be altogether more righteous and just and fair and proper if we hold the offense against the offender. Forgiveness can even seem immoral at times. It can feel wrong. We would rather return evil for evil, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, or at least 
cling to the offense so preciously and so tightly that the offender feels bound and burdened by the hurt they have caused. Forgiveness, we fear, might convey acceptance of our mistreatment. Forgiveness, we fear, might make light of a, a heavy situation. In reality, however, the act of forgiveness is so freighted with moral meaning that it repudiates the sin even as it absolves it. Forgiveness decries the sin even as it pardons it. Forgiving someone carries such weighty judgment and such clear acknowledgement of offense that we sometimes hesitate to say the words, I forgive you because they will be so heavy. We instead say something like, it's okay, or don't worry about it, or it's just water under the bridge. But when a hurtful sin has been committed, forgiveness is not shrugging our shoulders or saying, it's okay. Forgiveness means it's not okay, but I choose not to hold it against you. In verse 35, Christ calls us to forgive others from the heart. In biblical times, the heart was considered the seat of the will, the epicenter of decision-making. To forgive someone from the heart, therefore, does not require warm and fuzzy feelings of affection, but it requires an intentional decision, a deliberate act of our own volition. To forgive is to acknowledge someone's action as sinful and to let go of it by intentional choice. Forgiveness also includes little mercies for common offenses in everyday life, such as annoyances, tiny grievances, and subtle slights. Forgiveness is meant to be mundane for Christians, the humdrum rhythm of our existence, who we are and how we operate. Forgiveness is vital in marriage. Forgiveness is vital in family life. Forgiveness is vital in friendships. Forgiveness is vital in church life. Forgiveness is vital at school and in the workplace and on and on. According to Christ, forgiveness is to be our way of life. So Peter asks Jesus, how many times he should forgive a fellow Christian, maybe up to seven times even? Jesus says, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven, which would be 490 times. The point is not the math, but to forgive without limit. Genesis 4:24 is in the background here. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech 77-fold. It's important to note that the Old Testament character Lamech threatened 77 times the revenge on anybody who attacked him. Jesus is reversing this extreme vengeance of Lamech by teaching extreme forgiveness instead. 
he offers a parable to illustrate. A servant owed his king 10,000 talents, an astronomical amount of money. In today's terms, it would be way up in the billions. It was fun reading the Bible scholars on this. They were saying millions, billions. One Bible scholar said the Greek phrase there actually indicates a number that's, that's so high it doesn't really end, so it should be translated zillions. <laughs> that was published, zillions. I loved it. In any case, it was a debt so high that it could never be repaid. The debtor begged the king for patience. And out of pity for him, says verse 27, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. Notice the Lord's deep compassion. Notice the Lord's release of the offender. Notice the Lord's willingness to forgive even a monumental amount of sin. The servant has hit the forgiveness jackpot. But instead of celebrating by extending similar forgiveness to other people, the servant finds a man who owed him a hundred denarii. This is a considerable amount, but nowhere near 10,000 talents. The ratio is about one six hundred thousandth of what he had been forgiven. Still, the servant seized the man by the throat and said, Pay what you owe. The debtor begged him for patience, but the servant threw him into prison. Now, when the king caught wind of this, he was irate. He said, You wicked servant. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? The message is clear. God forgives us even though we have accrued a colossal, unpayable amount of sin. So how can we not forgive others for their sins against us? As beneficiaries of God's extreme forgiveness. How can we not practice forgiveness toward fellow human beings? Could there be any greater incongruence than to ruthlessly withhold forgiveness from someone after we ourselves have received infinite forgiveness from God? Jesus doesn't teach us to forgive others because it sounds like a nice thing to do. He teaches us to forgive others because God has forgiven us. The forgiveness we receive from God empowers us to forgive others even as it erases our own record of wrongs. The meaning of the parable is encapsulated quite aptly in Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, recipients of forgiveness, become practitioners of forgiveness. Beneficiaries of forgiveness become distributors of forgiveness. We are forgiven to forgive. In Matthew 6, 
Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Theologian Gregory Jones tells the story of a 16th century Swiss churchgoer. This man pretended that he had forgotten the words of the Lord's Prayer. And the reason was he did not want to forgive a merchant in town who had offended him. <laughs> Come on, man. We know you know those words. Forgiveness is velvet in Scripture, but sandpaper in real life. When we have been truly and specifically wronged, it's not our instinct to forgive, but it is our calling to forgive from the heart as an intentional act of the will because God has forgiven us. About 20 minutes after that woman criticized me at dinner, about 20 minutes into my huffing and puffing and seething, I remembered I'm a Christian. You ever have one of those moments? Oh yeah, I, I follow Jesus. <laughs> I have received extravagant forgiveness from God and I am taught, commanded even, to forgive others. So I began the process of prayerfully forgiving the woman internally. By the end of the meal, I'm happy to report I had calmed down and my interactions with her after that were more peaceable and positive. I would even say there was a sense of reconciliation. Still, it's important to distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. People often assume that to forgive someone means hugging and making up and fully reconciling with them, but that doesn't always happen. Forgiveness sometimes leads to reconciliation, but not necessarily. Reconciliation demands the cooperation of multiple parties while forgiveness is the act of a single individual. I mentioned this to the man who asked me whether he should forgive the people that had wronged him. I told him forgiveness can lead to reconciliation, and sometimes it should, but it doesn't always have to. In some situations, I said, it's best to practice forgiveness at a distance. When we practice forgiveness at a distance, we release the offender from their sin against us without hugging and making up, without warm and fuzzy feelings, and without reconciliation. The New Testament meaning of forgiveness does not require reconciliation, but it does require release. Notice that the parable uses the language of release, and the parable uses the image of prison. Sin is confinement. Sin constrains us, while forgiveness is release from sin. In fact, in verses 27 and 35, the Greek words translated forgive literally mean to release, to let go, to set free. 
This release does not rule out or devalue accountability. In the context of Matthew 18, Jesus has just finished teaching how to hold people accountable for their sin in the context of community. Thus, we know that to forgive is not to become a doormat for injustice. To forgive is not to diminish the offense we have suffered. To forgive is not to extend facile leniency that encourages further transgression. To forgive is not to shrug off a hurtful trespass as if it's really no big deal. To forgive is to release an act of sin, an offense, a trespass casts a web that confines both offender and victim. As victims, we fear that if we snatch down the web in an act of forgiveness, the offender will be off the hook. But we ourselves are entangled in the same web of transgression. The web of sin has ensnared us too in its sticky spiritual substance. It feels confining, entrapping, as if we cannot move on. To forgive is to wipe out the web. To forgive is to release both offender and victim so that the act of wrongdoing is no longer spiritually binding for either. If we receive God's forgiveness for our sins and then ruthlessly hold the sins of others against them, we will still be stuck in the web of sin. But if we receive God's forgiveness of our sins and then extend the same forgiveness to those who trespass against us, the web of sin will be dismantled and we will be set free. When the man who had been mistreated by those people at his former organization asked me if he should forgive them, we discussed the situation at length. I don't remember every detail of our conversation, but I do remember that I told him that the New Testament describes forgiveness as release, that forgiveness is liberation, that forgiveness is freedom. I told him that releasing them from their sin against him might release him also. He said he would think about it. I said a prayer, and we departed. Not too long after that, one Sunday following morning worship, this man approached me on his way out the sanctuary door. And he said two words, I'm free. I remember it like it happened 10 minutes ago. He shook my hand and said, I'm free. That is the testimony of the forgiven. And that is the testimony of the forgiver. Amen.
If you 